Last week, we began our verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Ephesians. We went through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And today, I want to pick up in verse 3. But before I do that, let me read verses 1 and 2 again. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins verse 1 by stating that he was an apostle by the will of God. God was sovereign over Paul's life, and and he is sovereign over our lives. And we can say this so confidently, because as we looked into the life of the Apostle Paul, we, we saw that Paul had nothing to do with his conversion. On the contrary, he was on a carnage to wipe out Christianity from this world. He was going to Damascus with letters to grab anyone associated with Christ. Bring them to Jerusalem and and kill them. Why would someone with such hatred for Christ and his followers become Christ's followers? In fact, no one in their right mind and Paul in his right sense would not have chosen to love Christ if it was not for our sovereign God who chose Saul, opened his eyes to the gospel and transformed him to bear the name of Jesus. This is why Paul could say, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. Paul then continues in verse 2. Says to the saints, sorry, verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. We saw God as a sanctifier of our lives. When a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, he or she is justified. God imputes his righteousness, his perfect righteousness. And so when God looks at the person, he sees the perfect righteousness. Of Jesus Christ, his son. And so every believer in Christ is a saint. Continually. Being a saint refers to your position. Or your standing. It's not based on your performance. Both on your good days and on your bad days. You are a saint. You don't become a saint one moment. And an ain't another moment. And a saint back again. Being a saint again is not a state of being sinless. It is being blameless. And this doesn't mean that because we are saints, now we can live the way we want to. We are to be faithful to the Lord. And we are to be faithful to the confession of our faith. And we are to live like saints, but keep in mind... That you don't become a saint because you are faithful. 
You are faithful because you're a saint. We become believers because God calls us and he enables us to be faithful. He empowers us. He equips us. Verse 2 reads, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see that God is the source of grace and peace for our lives. Paul uses the Greek word karain and, and the Hebrew word shalom. Grace is God's unmerited favor. There is nothing you and I can do to merit God's favor. The scripture says that Bible we yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. He shed his blood on Calvary for our sins. In Titus chapter 2, we read that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. This is the grace that saves. This is the grace that is unending. This is the grace of God. And the grace of God leads to the peace of God and peace with God. We have no peace until we have experienced the grace of God. Now let's come to the next section, the major, second major division in the, in the book of Ephesians, the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 3 through 14. As we come to verses 3 through 14, it's one of the most complex sections. Because as some of you know, it's, it's one long Greek sentence. It's about a total of 202 words. Any English teacher would have failed the Apostle Paul. Think about a run-on sentence written. And what the Apostle Paul is doing in verses 3 through 14 is he is piling on phrase after phrase to explain the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. He's laying out the master plan of salvation. He's taking us back into eternity. And giving us a glimpse of how the church was master planned even before the world began. And we see each of the members of the Trinity involved in our salvation. We see the working, the saving work of God the Father in verses 3 through 6. We see God the Father planned the church. We see the saving work of God the Son in verses 6b through 12. God the Son paid for the church. We see the saving work of God by the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. God the Holy Spirit protects the church. Here's an overview of our salvation. Our salvation which began in eternity past and will be concluded in the future. And in between, you see the broad strokes of redemptive work of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul as he lays out this passage, he desires that Christians would come to an understanding and a realization of these truths. Who they were, what they are now, and of the great blessings that lies ahead of them. And we need to know these truths. Because knowing these truths will help us flourish 
in our Christian lives. We need to know these truths so that you and I will be able to enjoy the fullness of our Christian lives. We need to know these doctrines because you and I will be able to praise God like the Apostle Paul as he did in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Folks, it doesn't matter how true the truth is. It doesn't matter how many truths are there in the Bible. They will not impact you until you know these truths. And this is what the Paul, Apostle Paul does in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, he lays down these truths. He lays down these doctrines before he goes into the expectations of a believer. He's imparting doctrinal truth before he's calling them to act. I remember in my senior years, we, as we went into the chemistry lab, we would never get into the chemistry lab. I loved the chemistry lab with all the gadgets and the chemical reactions that took place. But our teacher always taught us theory. We were in a hurry to get into the lab and to mix the chemicals, but we couldn't get there unless we learned the theory. And that's what we did. And we learned the theory so that when we got into the lab, we knew how to mix those chemicals and not, pre not create a, an explosion that would blow the lab out, but yet enjoy and understand the chemical reactions that was happening. It's important for us to understand doctrine. It's important for us to understand truth. We read in Titus that right doctrine produces right living. You must know doctrine because it translates itself into right living. And, and it's due to a lack of the knowledge of the doctrines of the scriptures that many script, script, Christians live mediocre Christian lives. Even our unbiblical actions result from our unbiblical thinking. So we need to know biblical truths. We need to know biblical doctrines that are ours in Christ Jesus. Have you ever been to a circus? I know most of you, some of you have. And as you go to a circus, you see the circus elephant. He's got a chain around one of his legs. And there's this huge iron ring and a chain. And, and you would expect that because there's such a big, huge elephant, to see the chain hooked up to some real piece of concrete. Or a huge tree. Or a wall. Grounded deep into the wall. Into the ground. But it's not. Many times. The chain is just hooked to a wooden stake. And that wooden stake is driven into the ground. About six inches into the ground. And that elephant will be there. And he'll go back and forth. With the hind leg. And he'll be reaching down and, and getting that straw and throwing it over the back. And swinging his head happily sideways and going back and forth. And he will always leave that leg up there with the chain tied to it. Now anytime the elephant wanted to, he could actually pull that chain out of the ground. Because you and I know 
that for this big giant elephant, this chain does not keep him there. But I'll tell you what keeps the elephant there. When he was a young elephant, they trained him. They put a chain on him and they put a stake into the ground that he could not move. And they tied him to some tree or to some wall or to some stake that was beyond the strength of the elephant to move. And he would pull against it and he could not move it. And he would pull against it and he could not move it. Until finally he learned in his mind that he could not move that stake. Now. They could put a stake six inches into the ground and he will never try and pull it out because he has in his mind that he's fastened. He has in his mind that he's chained and, and that's his mental perception. Now what he perceives is not true. He perceives that the stake will hold him. It's not true. Because if he knew the truth... The truth would set him free. The truth is that he could pull that stake out of the ground. But he does not know it. So he lives by rather what he knows is his true condition. He lives by his perception. And his perceptions have him bound to that stake. In the same way, folks, many Christians do not understand they're living by their perceptions. They do not understand who they are or who they were before coming to Christ. They do not understand the miracle of salvation. They do not know who they are in Christ presently. They have never really understood their identity. They do not know what they have in Christ, the resources that they have in Christ. And as a result... Their praise is shallow. Their worship is cold. Their Christian living is mediocre. Their Christian joy is missing. Their prayer life is pathetic. There isn't much to get excited about. And this morning, by the grace of God, as we submit ourselves to the Word of God, I want us to examine some key truths that you will discover in verse 3. And as a result, cause you to break out into praise as the Apostle Paul did. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's look at three truths that are found in verse 3. Your gift of salvation your spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Your identity in Christ. Let's look at the first truth. Your gift of salvation. Paul begins, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. The word blessed is derived from the Greek word eulogatos, from which we get our English word, eulogy. This is what usually you said at someone's funeral. You speak good words of a person. It means speak well of someone. So when we bless someone, we are saying they're good. And in this case here, the Apostle Paul is saying, 
God is good. As he says, bless be God and the Father. He's saying glory to God the Father. He's declaring that everything we have is flowing from God the Father. And so we are thanking him. Paul is so overwhelmed with these truths that that is spoken of in verses 3 through 14, that he cannot contain himself, that he praises God. Folks, in the same way, praise should be characteristic of our lives. Are we so moved by the gospel that we constantly cry out, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You come to church and you sit here And you sing. Do you sing because you just have to sing? Or do you sing because you want to praise God? When you understand the the intensity of what's written here, your hearts will long out and crave to praise God. You'll no longer read your Bibles the same way. Because you'll be moved to praise God as you read it. Are you moved to praise God? That God is the giver of all good and perfect gift? And this is what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 1. I mean, he cannot write a verse in the book of Ephesians without God being the source and the epicenter of the foundation of it. I mean, look at this. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Stop right there. Christ Jesus. He continues after giving glory to God. He says, by the will of God. Wait a minute. Again, God. Then he continues in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God. Again, it's God. And as you continue through the first chapter, you will see that everything is centered around God. Are you God-centered? Is everything you do exalting Christ? Are we praising God? Is he being blessed? Is he being adored in your life? Is he being lifted high? Is he being magnified? Is he being exalted? Paul continues in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father... Of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where I want you to see. Who has blessed us. Let's stop right there. Look at the phrase. Who has blessed us. The us refers to believers. The believers are blessed. We read in Galatians chapter 3 verse 9. It says. So then those who are the faith are blessed. Along with Abraham the man of faith. All the blessings we read about in chapter 1 are for his children. Those who are heirs. Those who were adopted into his family. If you're not a believer, you're not entitled to these blessings. So before we go on through the rest of the verse, I want you to examine your own life this morning. Are you among the us? Are you his child? Are you adopted into his kingdom? John chapter 1 verse 12 
reached those who believe in His name. He gave the right to become children of God. Are you a child of God? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Are you born again? And if you're a believer, all of these blessings that God has bestowed is upon you. And we see that it has to be from God the Father. Because apart from divine intervention, you and I cannot be a believer. We cannot be a Christian. And we know that. You did not find Christ. Christ found you. You did not seek Christ. Christ sought you out. Without God blessing us, we would all perish. You say, why do you say that? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 reads, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were children of wrath under the wrath of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 reads, You were alienated from the life of God. Why? Due to the hardness of your heart. The book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament reads, You had a stony heart, a dead spirit. I mean, you had nothing to bring to God to gain His favor. I mean, if you think you had righteousness to bring to God, the Bible says your righteousness are like filthy rags. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 reads that your deeds were continually evil. You could do nothing to set yourselves right with God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says your heart is deceitful beyond everything else. Who can understand it? I mean, in your natural state, left to yourselves, we all love to sin. We were passionate about evil. We were corrupt. We were full of strife and deceit. Malice filled our heart. We were haughty. We were boastful. We were inventors of evil. We were continually disobedient to our parents. We were foolish. We were heartless. We were ruthless. We loved sexual immorality. We loved sexual fornication. Our lifestyle mocked the institution of marriage. We lived in a cesspool of sin. How could you be born again? You could not. Unless God changed you. Unless God gave you the gift of faith. And here's where the good news comes. The Bible reads in Romans chapter 4 verse 5. That he who justifies the ungodly. The righteous God looks down upon ungodly man. And justifies ungodly man. His faith is counted as righteousness. You and I contributed nothing to our salvation. You cannot be saved by being a good person or trying to do good works. The truth is, you come to God just as you are, receiving mercy from Him. You're taken out of death row and brought to God's grace and you're given God's grace. God justifying the ungodly. That's why we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God being rich in mercy... Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 reads, For by grace you've been saved by faith, through faith, and this is not of your doing. It has to be the gift of God, not a result of works. It is God regenerating you. It's God giving you the gift of faith. It is God granting you the blessing of salvation. We are who we are because of the merits of Christ and Christ alone. This is why when Paul wrote this and he understood what salvation is, he said, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. I cannot be blessed on my own. It had to be God doing his work in my life. He made me a believer. It was his doing. And so, Lord, I'm so thankful to you. I'm so overwhelmed in my salvation that I say, Lord, thank you. Praise you. Are you praising God this morning? Do you understand if you're saved, what that is all about? Because if you truly understand the truth... There's nothing that could contain those praises. You would praise God at all times. Nothing matters to you anymore. But praising God for the gift of salvation. I want us to continue to the next truth in verse 3. You're praising God for your spiritual blessings. Are you praising God for your spiritual blessings? As we continue reading in verse 3, it says, Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are blessed with spiritual blessings. Where? In the heavenly places. I want you to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 with me, please. It says, That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So where is Christ? He's seated. Where? In the heavenly places. Where? With whom? At his right hand. Who is at his God the Father. So Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And Paul is saying that he raised us from the, raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places of God the Father. Do we know that we are in Christ? Yes. So if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, where are we presently seated? In the heavenly places. With Christ at the right hand of God, the Father. And this is what Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So although we are living in the here and the now, We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, an eternal kingdom. I mean, if you're a child of God, you're living in heaven right now. Now, you don't have to wait to enjoy your heavenly blessings at a future time. You're living in the heavens right now. Some people when asked, are you going to heaven? 
And the response is, well, I hope so. No, my friends. If you are a child of God, you may be physically seated here and family headed to church right now, pews, right? Well, you are seated where? In the heavenly places with Christ Jesus at the right hand of God. We belong there. And everything we love is there. That's where we reside. And it's a tension that we live in. The year and the now. I mean, Paul makes it even more clear. As you read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making rich, many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. What does that mean? Possessing everything? Then he goes on into 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but because we are having the hope of eternal life, we are still rejoicing. Because we are seated in the heavenly places, we are rejoicing. And this should cause us to praise God. I want you to think about the word spiritual blessings. You know, the blessings we have are not physical. They're said to be spiritual. You know, our deepest need is spiritual, not physical. And this is why we read in Ephesians 1.3, he says he's blessed us with all what? Physical blessings? No. Spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. God has not promised to us that when we become believers, He would bless us physically. And that we will live in huge mansions and drive expensive cars and experience luxuries. That's not even remotely Christian. That's the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. That's heresy. I mean, think about this. When Paul wrote this episode, where was he? In prison. In Rome. I mean, if he had alluded to physical blessings, he himself would be far from the appearance of any physical blessing. I mean, it would be hypocritical for Paul to write what he wrote if he was referring to physical blessings. Because all that he heard when he was in prison was the clanking of chains around his arms and his legs. The smell of latrine and the sewer and the cold prison cell and the uncertainty of death under Emperor Nero. And it was under these grueling circumstances that Paul writes to us, stating what? That he was praising God for the spiritual blessings where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, what are these spiritual blessings? I and mean, we'll be going about through this in the next weeks. But I just want to give you a glimpse of what our spiritual blessings are. And in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says, we have been elected. We've been made holy and we've been made blameless. We've been predestined to be adopted sons. We, we have been accepted in the beloved. We've been given redemption. We've been forgiven of our sins. 
We've been given wisdom and prudence. We've been made known the mystery of his will. This is why Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Our treasures, our blessings are all where? Speak to me. In the heavenly places. Everything we need, everything we need, folks, for life and godliness is there, is provided to us. Everything we need for life and godliness is given to us by the Holy Spirit. I mean, you find the ignorance of some believers. They pray. Lord, give me love. What does the Bible say? The love of God has been poured out into our hearts. Romans 5, 5. Many people pray, Lord, give me peace. The Bible reads in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. There are some people who say, Lord. Give me joy. What does the Bible read in John chapter 15, verse 11? These things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain where? In you and that your joy may be full. And many Christians wander around searching for joy and say, Lord, give me joy when they have joy with them. Many pray, Lord, give me hope. First Peter chapter 1 reads, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. If you are a believer, you have the hope of Christ. Many people pray for strength. The Bible reads, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. These resources are all available to us. It is ours. But many times we are ignorant of them. We don't know they exist. And so we continue to live mediocre Christian lives as paupers in spiritual poverty. We are like the person who's got a million dollars in his bank, but he is living on oatmeal. He's living in poverty, famished, starving himself to death. He doesn't know the resources that he has in Christ for his life. Next, let's come to the third truth that's found in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. You're, you're praising God for your identity in Christ. Are you praising God for your identity in Christ? I mean, this is why we bless God. Why? Because God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And I want you to see that word found in verse 3. In Christ. It says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessings. We are in Christ, meaning we are in the sphere of Christ. Just as the husband and wife are one in, in, in one union with each other, we are at one with Christ. We are in vital union with Christ. It's an intimate union. It's a living union. And that's what John says in John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. 
Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So just as a branch is sharing in the life of the vine, so we as believers are sharing in the life of Christ. So without Christ, we are dead. I mean, you cannot be a Christian without being in Christ. This is why Paul says, says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, he says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 reads, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are brought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God the Holy Spirit lives in us. We are partakers of His life. I am in Christ and through the Holy Spirit living in me. It's Christ living in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 is an important verse that will help us understand this a little more. It says, and because of him, you are in Christ. Because of whom? Because of God the Father. God the Father is the initiator to put us in Christ. God doesn't make mistakes. He is perfect. And he does a perfect work. And when we are brought in union with Christ, it's a permanent union. We can never get out of it. We can never fall out of God's hands. We can never do anything so miserable or so bad that we would be out of union with Christ. And we are in Christ all the time. To understand this more, think about this. A shipwrecked man on an island, he writes a message and throws it into the sea in a hope that it will reach some shore. But that message is put into a bottle. And you'll wonder, will the water damage the message? Well, it doesn't. The note reaches the other side of the sea. But all the time, the note is actually sealed in the bottle, and the bottle keeps it safe. In the same way, you and I, although being tossed to and fro in this world that we live in, when we reach the other shore, we are safe in that fact that we are in Christ. Where do you find your identity? You know, when I invite people to church, their immediate response is this. I don't like to come to church because people judge me. Really? Where is your identity found? Is it found in people? And what people think about you? Or, or maybe you are in church today. And you're trying to find your identity in the things of this world. Only if I had a better spouse, I would have joy. Only if I had a spouse who loved me, I would have joy. Only if my spouse had a better job, I could brag about it. And I would have what? 
joy. Or only if I had a better job, it would make me happy. Or if I had a better home, it would make me happy. Or a better car would make me happy. I mean, if this is the case, and your happiness is coming from your spouse, and your job, and your home, and in whatever, where is your identity found? Who's your savior? You made all these things your small s, savior, instead of finding your identity in the capital S, savior, Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, my friends, your identity should find, should be found in Christ and Christ alone. I want to take the step a little further here. Not only your identity, where do you find your sufficiency? John chapter 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10 says, in him, you're made complete. Are you relying on the riches of Christ? Are you relying on a sufficiency? Keep in mind, when God looks at you this morning, if you're a believer, he sees Christ in you. He doesn't see you. He doesn't see me as Sam. He sees Jesus Christ in me. Christ's position is my position. Christ's riches is my riches. Christ's privilege is my privilege. And so when Paul thought about these things, he was so overwhelmed that he could not contain himself, that he was praising God as he began verse 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Are you praising God for your salvation? Are you praising God for your spiritual blessings? Are you praising God for your identity in Christ? As you've seen, these blessings are for believers only. If you're not a believer, I urge you to come to Christ. And based on the promises of God's word, if you trust in Jesus Christ and you depend on him, he will save you. He will remove your sins from you. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove your transgressions from you. He will give you a new heart. He will take away your stony heart. He will take away your dead spirit and put a new and living spirit within you. Eternal life is a free gift from God. You don't have to trade your brownie points to get eternal life. Just cry out to God. And God will save you. And if you're a believer... I pray that God would give you the grace to offer praise and thanksgiving. May we delight by being in the presence of God as we worship Him. May we be moved to cry out to Him constantly. And may this be the cry and the prayer and the praise of our hearts. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places.